especially in hard and uncertain times, you have to know who you can trust. You have to know who you can really count on, who you can lean on hard. So as uh, Tom mentioned, we're here at the journey. We're in a series, in the midst of a series on the names of God. And our goal is to help one another better, get to better know our God, the one we can trust, the one we can trust completely. And today, as, as Tom mentioned, we're going to be looking at the name Yahweh, or as some of you are used to saying, Jehovah. That, this name Yahweh appears 6,823 times in the Old Testament. Let me say that again, 6,823. 23 times in the Old Testament. Our problem is it isn't put in our English Bibles as the name Yahweh, but it is, there's a way that you distinguish. The way our, the Hebrew word Yahweh uh, is translated in our English Bibles as the word Lord, but there are two words translated as Lord in our Hebrew Bible, in our English Bibles. One of them is Adonai, and you'll see that word. It just, it just means Lord. It will be a capital L and then lowercase O-R-D, Yahweh, every time it appears, most times when it appears, is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So you can, you can distinguish that way when you're reading your English Bibles. Okay? Now this morning we're going to focus on Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. But, we're not, but before I get to that passage, I want to lay out a little bit of the context of the passage itself. Now, now the deal is that Israel is in exile in Egypt. They're oppressed, they're enslaved, they're suffering, they're groaning. Now, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, in verses 17 to 20, kind of summarizes what's going on there, and he says this, As the time drew near for God to fulfill his uh, promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to uh, throw out their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. So let's go back to that frame, as, uh, phrase. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, this is the big picture context for what is about to happen in the book of Exodus. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham. It's about God making a long ago promise and at the right, at the right time keeping it, fulfilling it. But it's also about God's determination to free and restore an enslaved and oppressed people. Now, Stephen ends uh, the portion I read, at that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. So what's Moses' story? Well, as, as uh, Stephen makes clear, and as you can read in uh, chapter 2 of Exodus, uh, the Pharaoh in power institutes a program of infanticide, kill every Hebrew baby boy that's born. And so in an attempt to protect him, Moses mother, Moses', Moses Jewish mother, gives him up soon after he's born. He's found and he's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and he's brought up in the palace. A lot of irony there. When he's 40, while trying to defend a Hebrew slave, he kills an Egyptian. So he's forced to flee from the long arm of the law 
and he ends up in a wilderness backwater called Midian. He becomes a migrant worker, a sheep herder in a strange land. So that's the backdrop to the passage we're about to read in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. So I'll read that passage, and as I'm reading it, you're going to notice the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the text. Uh, I'm just going to substitute the word Yahweh in my reading, okay? Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When Yahweh saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Yahweh said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drives, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land oozing, really, flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, What's his name? Then, what, what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Forty years have passed since Moses fled from Egypt. In all those years, he's been tending, 
He's been telling sheep in Midian. Same old, same old, every day, 40 years. And then one day, everything changes. It just changes. Moses has his, if you will, burning bush experience where God reveals himself to him. He says to Moses, 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 I know you, Moses. God knows Moses' name. He knows your name, my name, too. He says, I have seen the, mis- the misery of my people. I've heard their cries. I'm concerned about their suffering. I've come down to rescue them. I will bring them up to a good land, a land flowing with everything that will make people flourish. And this is the way I'm going to do it, Moses. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Yahweh says go. And Moses doesn't want to go. He just doesn't want to go. I mean, he's scared, so he starts coming up with all kinds of excuses. In the midst of his excuses, Moses asks a weird question. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? What should I tell him? What am I going to tell him? You see, Moses is thinking ahead a little bit. He's imagining what that encounter will be. His last interaction with his fellow Israelites didn't go so well. They didn't believe he was with them on their side. Didn't believe he was God's instrument of deliverance for them. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Buzz off! That's what he heard 40 years earlier before he was forced to flee Egypt. So what Moses is asking is, Lord, what shall I tell them so that they know it is you who has sent me to them? How shall I identify you to them so that they believe you have come to deliver them? Lord, what's the name they need to hear? And God answers that that Moses' question by saying, I am who I am. I am who I am. Now, in the Hebrew text, it's just four consonants. Yod hey vav hey. In English, it would be Y H W H. And the NIV translates it as I am who I am. Now, that's, that's a good translation, but there's a number of ways that it can be translated. I am who I've always been, or I am that which exists, or I will be who I will be. And all of these get at some of the nuance of the Hebrew text, all of them together give a much better sense of what the Hebrew means than any one of them alone. It's just that translators have to pick something, otherwise the Bible, long as it is, would be five times longer. Now, Ken Hemphill, in his book, uh, The Names of God, argues that, you know, says that to be is to live. To be at its very essence is to have life. That's the name that implies that God is absolutely self-sufficient. 
He's the one who in himself possesses life in permanent existence. He's the uncaused cause, to use a philosophical expression. He alone, Yahweh alone is God. Before him, nothing existed. Without him, there is no life. Nothing except exists. Nothing exists except that it has its life in him. That's the implication of all of that. Yahweh is a purposeful creator. Everything in the universe came into being because God chose to create it. Now here's a key implication of that. We will never understand our purpose as human beings, as a human race or as human beings, until we know him. because we were made for his purpose. Now, let me go back to Exodus 3, verse 15. Yahweh is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. He's saying something big there. He's really saying that Yahweh is my only name. When we talk about the names of God, really we're talking about the name of God and a lot of uh, attributes of God or titles of God. But Yahweh is his personal name. That's what, let me jump for Exodus 6 for a couple of minutes. Exodus 6, verses 2 to 4. God says to, Yahweh says to Moses, I am Yahweh. I appear to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them, and I have remembered my covenant. So Yahweh is God's foundational name. It's a name that describes his, his very being, his essential nature and character, not just his actions in particular situations. And therefore, the name, the revelation of God, express name Yahweh, is the foundational revelation of who God is. All of his attributes flow from his character revealed in the name Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal relational name, the name by which he makes himself fully known to his people in choosing, now in choosing to reveal his personal intimate name, Yahweh is issuing an invitation. He's issuing an invitation to us, to his people, to enter into a deep, intimate, trust-based relationship with him. Yahweh is a trust name. You might say that Yahweh is God's family name, the name by which his family knows him. The first time the name Yahweh appears in Scripture isn't in Exodus. It's in Genesis chapter 2. He appears in chapter 2. What's he doing in chapter 2? He's preparing a place, a beautiful, safe, life-flourishing place for the people he has created, like a father and a mother create a home for a newborn baby. When, he st- when, Yahweh, when, when 
Genesis is talking about God doing that. It uses the name Yahweh. That's what Yahweh does. He builds a home like a father and a mother built a home for their children. And Yahweh is God's covenant-making name. It reveals his covenant-making, his covenant-keeping character, which is the outflow the outflow of his unquenchable love toward his people. And because, because of his love for us, Yahweh suffers. And a lot of those 6,823 references to Yahweh, Yahweh is suffering because God is love. What, uh, and his people are dishonoring one another, hurting one another and dishonoring him, and he grieves over that. Nick Waltersdorf in his book, Lament for a Son, says that the tears of God are the meaning of history. Take time to think about that. The tears of God are the meaning of history. Now, let me go back to that phrase, I am who I am. Does that sound familiar to any of us? I am who I am. When Jesus talks about himself, he uses that phrase, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What does that mean? It means that Yahweh's personal covenant-making nature takes on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. So God's self-revelation is Yahweh, which reveals that he's eternally existent, personal, covenant-making, just, and good finds its fulfillment in the sending of his son. Good God took on human flesh, lived among us, laid down his life in our behalf, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, inaugurated his kingdom, and sent his Holy Spirit to live within us. All of this was an expression of God's personal, powerful, covenant-keeping character pressed in love toward his people. And it's displayed most fully in Yahweh in the flesh, Yeshua, God saves. Moses encountered Yahweh in a burning bush. We encounter Yahweh at the cross of Jesus, the cross of Yeshua. Moses saw a burning bush, we see a cross. Jesus came among us, God in human flesh, and he laid down his life on a cross for us. He's delivered. Jesus is delivered. God raised up for us all. And Moses was just but a foretaste of what God had in mind for all peoples. Moses in his role toward Israel was just a foretaste. Now, how do we respond to God's, to Yahweh's goodness, to God's to Yahweh's love, to God, Yahweh's calling. 
As I said, Moses saw a burning bush. Here's the first one. Moses saw a burning bush. We see a cross. He saw a bush burning up, but not burning, but not burning up. So what did he do? He saw and he stopped. Lots of people would have just, would have, wouldn't have noticed at all, actually, or if they noticed, they would have kept walking by for any number of reasons. Moses saw something unusual, and he, and he stopped, and he pondered, and he came over, and he looked, he explored. He was willing to be alert and attentive, attentive to stop and ponder. And out of that, he heard the voice of God. This willingness to be attentive changed his life and altered the course of Israel's history. Here's the thing. Yahweh is present and active in this world and in our lives. And we miss a lot of it because we are not alert and attentive because we're not always willing to stop and ponder the voices that God puts in our head or the situations, the the, uh, interactions we have with people that God puts in our way. We need to be people who stop and ponder, who are alert and attentive. And one of the ways to do that is to start is to practice the spiritual di- disciplines, Bible study and discussion, meditation, reflection, solitude and silence, prayer, spiritual journaling, fellowship and service. They're all disciplines that the people of God have practiced in order to be alert and attentive to God. We have to make that a practice, an intentional thing in our lives, or we'll miss the encounters God has for us. We also, from this passage, can can learn another thing from Moses. We need to run to God and be real with God. See, Moses fears God. Moses was afraid to look at the face of God. He feared God, but he wasn't afraid of God in the way that we often think of afraid. He's bold with God. He's honest with God. He's open with God about his doubts and his excuses even. He's open with Yahweh. He knows that Yahweh is not harsh. He's not capricious. He's not unpredictable or prickly or mean. He's not unstable. He's not volatile. He's not vindictive like the pagan gods around him are. Yahweh is good. He's gracious. He's kind. He's trustworthy. He's consistent. He's loving. He's strong. He's powerful. He's engaged with his people as a father or mother engages with their children. So trust in God's grace. Run to him with all your stuff. Run to God and be real with God. Don't try to hide from him. Don't let shame keep you away from him or guilt keep you away from him. And then third, represent God rightly to the watching world. Exodus 20, in Exodus 20, God established covenant with Israel and he issues the, what we call the, the Ten Commandments. That's Yahweh doing that. And Exodus 20, verse 7 says, you shall not misuse or misrepresent the name of Yahweh your God, 
for Yahweh will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, what does this mean for us? Let me go back to the context of Exodus 3. Egypt, out of prejudice, Pharaoh, out of prejudice, and out of greed, has enslaved and oppressed Israel. Out of fear, he's embarked on a slow program of genocide. Hebrew babies, Hebrew baby boys are being killed. And Yahweh appears and reveals his name to Moses. He says, I've seen the oppression of my people. I've heard their groaning. I've come to deliver them. I'm sending you, Moses. I'm sending you, Moses, to your people. Now, what does this tell us about Yahweh? It tells us that he's a God of justice who delivers his people from oppression. Yahweh refuses to let people be treated as less than they are, as less than he created them to be. If Yahweh is a God of justice who opposes oppression, we also ought to be people of justice who oppose oppose oppression whatever form it takes. That's what it means to represent God rightly to the watching world. Now, as a church, we have spoken against and need to continue speaking against abortion. We have to say that babies in the womb matter to God. Why? It's because in our culture, babies in the womb aren't seen as babies. They're not seen as human beings. Here's the thing. Every child in the womb, regardless of human circumstances, that planted that child there is precious to God. And every child out of the womb, regardless of color, culture, class, circumstance, is precious, precious to God. So abortion is a tragedy and it's a sin. And the circumstances to lead a woman, and sometimes not even a woman, a child, to lead a woman to agree to an abortion is a sin. The abandonment, the abuse, the lies, the manipulation, the shaming, the rape, the prejudice, the poverty, the hopelessness, all of that are a sin against her as well, as against the child in her womb. We need to speak against abortion to represent Yahweh's character and purpose rightly. We need to speak against and work to change the circumstances and policies that make abortion seem like the only solution for a desperate woman. And as the people of God, we also have to keep saying that black lives matter to God. It's not enough to say that all lives matter. Why? Because throughout our nation's history, embedded even in the rhetoric, writings, and practices of our founding fathers and continuing to the very present day, black lives haven't been seen as fully human and precious to God. So to represent Yahweh rightly, we need to keep fighting its racism in all its forms, all its expressions, systems, structures. Why? Because our God, Yahweh, is a God of justice who refuses to let people be treated as less than they are. 
He refuses to let people be treated as less than they are, made in his image, beloved by him. We need to keep advocating for all human lives to be treated like human beings throughout the whole spectrum of human life, from the womb to the tomb, as some people say. Will we represent this God, this Yahweh, to the world that watches? Yahweh, the God of creation, the God of the garden, the God of the patriarchs, the God of the covenants is Yeshua, Jesus, the God of the church. Yahweh is your God, my God, our God. He's self-existent, self-sufficient, sovereign, life-giving, covenant-making, promise-keeping, justice-demanding, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Yahweh is the great I Am who took on human flesh and came to us. He's Yeshua, Jesus, self-giving, saving, redeeming, delivering, healing, and restoring. He is the one who unleashes unquenchable love into the universe, unleashed through his word and through his spirit, and yes, through his people, when we represent him rightly. Unleashed through his people when we represent him rightly. May it be so. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Yahweh, our Father, thank you that you are God with us, God for us. Thank you, oh Lord, that you do not treat us as less than what you've made us to be, even when we live less than you made us to be. Lord, may you help us to honor you, to represent you rightly, we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you.